Welcome to Salty Politics this week. We are doing something a little different, and Julie and I are going to just talk about what's happening in the news and life in general. Yeah, you know, um, we did this once before, and we got a great reaction for it. So we are we have a great guest coming up next week, I know, um, to talk about the Green New Deal. But you and I haven't caught up in a while, just the two of us, so why don't we just do that now um, and talk about the biggest news of the year, which is not the Mueller report, or anything to do with Donald Trump. It is the Game of Thrones. It's it's kind of a big deal. And I have some really, really important questions for you, Julie, that I put a lot of research and time into that we're going to need your input on. Here's my problem. Um, my problem is that I am re-watching the entire series with somebody who has not watched it before. And we just, uh, as we're taping this now, last night wrapped up the first episode of season five. So in case that person is listening, I don't want to provide any spoilers. So why don't we just talk generally about Game of Thrones um, and maybe we'll revisit the topic after we get through the entire series and hopefully after this season ends because I'm so excited for this. You know what? I think I think these answers are going to yield you the most hate on Twitter. Oh, Perhaps in, let's go. Let's. You know what? Let's see. Uh, okay. Which club, Julie, would be worse to join? The Night's Watch, the Faceless Man School, or the Shame Nuns Nunnery? Ooh, well, the shame nuns <laughs> with the bell. You know, I used to, <laughs> I have I have a bell on my iPhone um, that if you shake my iPhone, it's, it's an app that goes shame, 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 and it rings the bell. Um, I got to say the Night's Watch looks miserable um, because I'm, I'm not a big, it's funny, for, for a Russian girl, I hate the cold, and so I'm not a big cold person, and you have to take the whole vow of celibacy and... Um, be the first wall of defense against white walkers and, and other weirdo supernatural things. So I think, the, I got to say, I don't know how Jon Snow did it all that time. Um, I, I really wouldn't want to go hang out at the wall. Um, the nuns at least get to hang out in King's Landing, which is cool because at least it's warm and it's pretty. Right. And I, and I kind of oh. want to go to Dubrovnik in Croatia where it's filmed just because it looks like such a beautiful place. Uh, what was my third option? Faceless Man School. Faceless Man School is pretty cool. I think I want to join the Faceless Man School. Because again, you get to go to prison in Bravos, and Bravos looks like a really pretty place. I know. That was part of my consideration while I was writing these. I'm like, okay, well, location-wise, Night's Watch is a drag. Yeah. Night's Everything Watch, about it is Night's a drag. Watch is a bummer. There's like nothing good about Night's Watch at all. Like, no. I can't think of one redeeming thing about Night's Watch. Night's Watch is where you go get punished if you're like a rapist or a murderer. You right. can either die or go to go to join the night's watch so I, I it's not good right um I, I guess i would say not i guess i know there's no question faceless man school is awesome i mean Get provided it. you survive faceless man school it's pretty cool right because uh-huh. of all our margulis and all that but still you know that's 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 a little high valerian for you just in case because i as i said i've been nerding out you gotta do it all right next question would you rather have drinks with the dothraki the wildlings or Tyrion? oh well, Tyrion's my kind of drunk. <laughs> I feel like you guys would be sharing quips back yeah, and forth. Yeah, because Tyrion, you know, Tyrion doesn't get mean when he drinks. Tyrion kind of gets funny and gets happy sassy. and gets sassy when he's when he's drunk, which I think is kind of cool. Um, let me ask you this about the Dothraki. Is Khal Drogo alive in this scenario? Because I'd want to hang out with Khal Drogo because he's a badass and yes. pretty hot. Oh, okay. Um, I, I guess Tyrion and, and Khal Drogo would be cool to hang out with, but the Dothraki, again, you know, they're... Uh, I feel like they just chug... 
entire handles and be like, come I, on. The problem with the Dothraki is they chug the handles and then <laughs> they start getting to fist fights and, next, and raping women and next thing you know, you know, you're on the ground. And so I don't know about, yeah, so I don't know if I want to hang. And plus it's kind of dusty with the Dothrakis. I don't know if I want to go hang out at the Great Sand Sea with the Dothrakis. But, you know, if I can Maybe hang out with game with them. I, you know, <laughs> pre-game game with them and then hang out with, with, with Tyrion. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I, the wildlings would be, again, you need them in small doses, like a Dothraki, like a drink or, and then the wildlings, a drink, but Tyrion, I could see spending hours just complaining about everything. The deal with the wildlings is like, if you hang out with them and you drink with them, especially if Mance Raider is still around in this scenario, um, you pretty much end up getting a lecture about how they're better. They're the free people and, you know, the free folk and you're just an enslaved, you know, northerner or whatever they call crow. And so like, all right, you know what? I feel like the more they drink, the more they start lecturing you about how their way of life is better. And, uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really want to lecture when I'm drinking. I want to hang out with Tyrion and, and trade quips. Okay. I, I agree with that. All right. I feel like drinking with Tyrion would be like the clap back, but the drunk version. Which, which we never did back in the day. The, for, which, for the record, we were always sober doing the clap back. Which, but I feel like that would be amazing to do if you're drinking with Tyrion. Oh, my God. That show idea. Uh, <laughs> it's a great show idea. Peter we're Dinklage, taking... come over and drink with us. We'll do the clap back together. <laughs> we're taking ownership of that one. Right. All right. Sex, marry, kill. Uh, first of all, these are some just lovely men here. Walter Frey, Joffrey, hmm. or Ramsay. So you have to have sex with one, oh. marry one, and kill one. God. You know the this. Can I join the nun? Can I join the nuns in, in um, King's Landing? Can I can I join the sept? Can I be a scepter? Septon? May not. Uh, I mean not. Okay. Um, oh <laughs> God. Well, Walter. Oh. I know. I know. Uh, um, <laughs> so, they're not winners. Okay. So, I. All right. This is. This I, is I'm, this I'm gonna get so judged for this, but understand, I have no choice. Emily's basically right. holding a gun to my head. I guess I would marry Joffrey. Because I'm hoping that much like Marjorie, I could maybe try to manipulate him into not being horrible to me. Although I and the other, or or maybe I'd marry Walter. Maybe I'd marry Walter Frey because that might be a short marriage because he's kind of old. So I feel like oh yeah, I feel like maybe I just marry him and 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 he die quickly. So my my pain and suffering would be over. Um, I think I would definitely kill Ramsay because yeah. Ramsay is just psychotic in ways that even Joffrey isn't. Um, oh, I know. I mean, um, this is like going to get me on, on Megan's list if I actually wanted to have sex with Joffrey because he's he's underage. So I, 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 I you have to go with Walter. Frey. <laughs> I guess you know what? I guess I have to go with Walter Frey because I think it would be illegal for me to do anything with with Joffrey because he's underage. So I guess I'd marry Joffrey. I think I think the law has has required that of me. What about you? I would. Oh gosh. All right. I would. Well, I think. Well, definitely kill Ramsey because yeah, just they, psycho. Yeah, total psycho. Uh, I guess I would. I like your. You know what? I would marry Walter Frey because he'd die soon. Yeah, you get a you get some land, and then you get some <laughs> land. You get the river crossing. <laughs> you get the bridge. You get a bridge. You get a bridge, and you get about <laughs> twenty women as named Walda as your as your stepdaughters. You can start a new army. That's and true. And then I guess uh, sex with Joffrey. Nothing, nothing there is, would be pleasant. Not, not, this is a horrible scenario <laughs> now. I kind of don't want to continue this podcast, but keep going. <laughs> well, now this is a, because I don't want to give spoilers. So the last right. question I'm not going to reveal. Okay. But I am very excited about this or 
the premiere coming up. So can I tell you something very controversial about my Game of Thrones views, which I think will inform people? Um, so my friend Leah um, is a big Game of Thrones fan. And when I, when I suggested this to her, I think she, uh, she and I have been friends since we were 18, so it's been a long time friendship. But I think she was about to end it because you know who I'm rooting for? I'm Team Cersei. I've been yes! te- you too. Yes! We're like the only people She's on earth. Mean, and I I've been, love it. I've been Team Cersei all the way, and I'll tell you why. Khaleesi, man, I think she's crazy. I mean, I think the the Mad King. I think that that Gene Pools um, infected her a little bit, and she's got the dragons. She's got the special powers. She's got this, you know, the magic. Um, I would argue that Cersei is kind of like the Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton. She's waited her turn. She's waited her turn. She's been ruthless. She's, she's, you know what? And then, but you know, um, Daenerys is kind of like AOC. She's just coming in there, you know, has new ideas and just going to try to take it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but Daenerys, it's like, okay, Daenerys, you know what? You've got your dragons. You've got your, you're unburnt. Um, but like you were born with these magic powers, which is, which is cool for you. But Cersei, she just, she had nothing to go. Cersei had no advantages in life other than a rich dad. And look at what Cersei's done with her life. I'll look at all the adversity Cersei's overcome. <laughs> I'm totally team Cersei. Jon Snow, I'm sorry. You're boring as hell. Um, and I actually have this conversation with my friend Bill, um, who's gay, um, and thought, was devastated when Rob Stark um, met his untimely end because he was just, uh, thought Rob Stark was like the, the best looking guy in the world. I think all the Stark men are really, really boring. And that includes Bran with his weirdo visions. And I'm kind of sick of all of them. I like the Stark girls much better. Um, I also thought Ned Stark was really boring. Um, I thought Catelyn Stark was a badass. But um, so yeah, I'm rooting for Cersei. I'm team Cersei. Um, I, hope, I hope she makes it. I hope they all make it because, you know, for all we know, the White Walkers are going to be the ones who are making it. So we'll see. Um, all right. Well, I think that kind of goes into our next subject, uh, the fact that you look at Cersei and our, the struggle, really. Um, the struggle is real with Cersei. Look at Cersei. Look at this poor woman. And by the way, it's not even that I love Cersei so much. I love Jamie Lannister. Ja- what? No. What? Jamie is, is, I don't know, he's a reactionary kind of... I don't know. I just want to kick him off a horse. Why, why wasn't Jamie one of my options? Why couldn't because, I marry Jamie? I'd marry Jamie in a heartbeat. that's easy. That's easy. That's true. That's too easy. What yeah. No, I'm team Jamie. And, and, I, and, and listen, that's a, that's a real love story. It's not every day that a guy gives up everything for his sister slash his lover slash the mother of his children. Hey, hey who knows? Looking ahead, there could be more family um, loving happening. Well, yeah. Wasn't there some sort of prophecy that she would die at the hands of her younger brother and everybody thought it was Tyrion? Maybe it's Jamie. That would be, that would be it. You heard it here. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. (laughs) All right. So our first, uh, well, second subject to discuss is recently uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, is that correct? Buttigieg. Buttigieg uh, was on Bill Maher and he was asked about his candidacy and being a millennial. And what's annoying me is how Bill puts down millennials because he made the point at how they're fragile in general. You know, you're a millennial, right? Yes. So people, I mean, I'm Generation X, and, and people, I feel like older people have been saying this about every generation that's come up. People said that about my generation. Um, I think the World War II generation said that about the baby boomers, although that is true when it comes to the baby boomers. Um, but I don't find millennials to be, I mean, millennials to me have gotten a really raw deal. You guys came of age after 9-11, um, you graduated college into a massive recession. 
Um, the economy was pretty bad. Um, you've known nothing but war for basically most of your sentient life. Um, so is it any surprise that millennials may not be ecstatic about their lives and about the way things are going? Um, and you're inheriting an economy, a world that is so uncertain that's shifted. Um, so I have nothing but sympathy for millennials and admiration for millennials. Millennials are going out, they're starting Facebook. Millennials are going out there doing all sorts of incredible stuff. They're not relying on government or anybody else to do it for them. They're not relying on their parents to do it for them. Um, and the fact that they, people think that millennials are lazy and the fact that millennials, well, like, you know, you have no choice but sometimes to move back in with mom and dad after college because you're graduating with $300,000 worth of debt. Um, until recently, it was very hard to get a job. Um, you are adjusting to a labor market that has shifted tremendously. Um, so I don't think it's laziness. I think it's, it's, it's what's become of the country and, and the necessity that people feel of, of having to rely on, on parents in ways they haven't before, um, especially since the World War II period. So, and look, the problem with Bill Maher um, who I like in some ways, but I think he's very condescending towards entire groups of people. I saw that, that movie that he did um, that basically was a, was a big plug for atheism, and that's great, and, and listen, more power to him, but I thought it was very dismissive of people who were people of faith, um, and I'm not somebody who's a religious person by any stretch of the imagination, but I was really uncomfortable watching that movie because people were in the theater were laughing along to him, really ragging on... Um, religious people, and I thought that was really wrong um, because everybody's entitled to their view. I don't think his view or my view is any any better um, than the views of people who are deeply religious, um, and I don't think millennials deserve any kind of mockery. I think millennials deserve an understanding by my generation, and especially by baby boomers, that it is the policy of the baby boomers that have gotten millennials into this mess in the first place. And I think also, you know, with the whole safe places and the political correctness thing, I think it's very reactionary and I think it's overreactionary right now and it's going to correct, but reactionary in a way where kind of like that Bill Maher and just the condescension all the time and not really caring or putting yourself in someone else's uh, position is kind of that where I think a lot of this overreaction sensitive spaces yeah and look i do think people overreact to certain things but i'm not going to dismiss well i'll give you a great example the joe biden thing okay um you have a woman and several women coming forward saying that he made them feel uncomfortable and a lot of people think that's an overreaction and other people don't um i have been in that situation with joe biden a number of times um i've gotten the shoulder rub i can tell you this is just coming from me, this is not to diminish anybody else's experience and everybody has their own experience and their own feelings about it. S speaking strictly for myself and literally just for myself, um, I can say that I never thought it was inappropriate. I never thought it was a violation of my personal space. I never thought it was um, sexual in any way. He comes from a generation where touch was... Um, a thing. I mean, it, it, politicians, you have, you have this, Bill Clinton used to, and not to women, but he would do this to men, lest people think that Bill Clinton was creeping on, on women in this scenario. Um, when he would shake men's hands, he would grab them by their right hand, and then he would put his other hand on their shoulder um, and touch them that way. I think that is just what people did to connect. 
Um, and I think that's how Joe Biden looked at it. I don't by any stretch of the imagination think that it was a sexual thing that Biden did. He did it to men as well. I mean, he would do it to Obama. You have pictures of him doing it. Um, are people overreacting to that? I understand where people are coming from at a time when women are groped all the time and, and, and you have presidents talking about grabbing women by their genitalia. Um, I think women have become much more sensitive about the fact that don't touch my body in any way, shape, or form without my permission. Don't violate my personal space. I get it. I mean, believe me, uh, we've all gotten the inappropriate touch and the inappropriate hug from men, uh, all of us. I'm sure you have as well. And so um, uh, it's, uh, was it an overreaction to Biden? Not from women who are just tired of guys touching them. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> I'm 5'3", and I remember I, I, I worked for this one politician who was very, very tall, like exceedingly tall. And he would always pat me on the head <laughs> because I'm 5'3 and I'm short. And I think he just kind of would like pat me and like a puppy. And I don't think he meant anything condescending by it. I think he just thought I was like this cute little, and not cute in a sexual way, but cute like in this very like Smurf-like way. And um, I, you know, I didn't love it. I thought it was a little condescending. I, don't, I didn't think he'd do that to me if I were 5'10 or 5'11. But... Um, you know, did I think that he meant anything bad by it? Not in the least. In fact, I think it was almost a sign of affection. So, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, this one's a tough one for me. And, and, and I think that painting millennials with a broad brush is, is not right. Or painting anybody with a broad brush is not right. Everybody has different experiences and different motives. And, and so I think Bill Maher needs to understand that. Agreed. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the latest book about by former Sports Illustrated writer Rick Riley uh, titled Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump. Um, but there have. have been pretty excellent excerpts from it. Uh, one part of it was that at one golf course, the, the caddies would call Trump Pele because he would kick, the bo- kick his golf ball onto the yeah, fairway. I read that. That's great. And I'm just like... That's pretty interesting, but do you think maybe it stems from Trump in his heart of heart believes that everybody's a cheater, so it's okay for him to cheat? And that could be informing his political, like if everybody's kind of skirting the system, it's like, I'm just playing the game. Oh, look, I mean, we know he cheated with respect to campaign finance. Um, We know he hasn't been cleared of obstruction of justice, um, which we can get to in a second with the Mueller report. But um, do I think Trump's a cheater? Yeah, of course he's a cheater. unless people who love Donald Trump start yelling at me. Apparently Bill Clinton was also a horrible cheater at golf and would go golf and would also, um, whatever a mulligan is, which I think is a oh, yeah. cheating thing. Yeah. Um, well, the mulligan is like you hit a bad shot and then you take one over. It doesn't count. Yeah. Apparently Clinton. Yeah. Apparently Clinton was like the king of doing that. So I, uh, you know, uh, I, I wish I could get excited about the story, but I Just, can't get excited about the game of golf at all. And I know that's also going to get me a ton of hate because people are obsessed with golf. Well, and I don't understand. How do you like walking around? Well, with a, let me. With a, are you a golf person? I was, I was actually on the golf team in high school. You had a golf team in high school? Oh, but it was great, though, because I remember leaving class early, going all around Florida to golf at these courses for free. And getting golf balls provided. Wow. I felt like a retiree. I did not appreciate it. <laughs> You're time. living in Florida and playing but golf. You were back, so retired at the age right, of 14. I look back and I'm like, why didn't I appreciate this anymore? But I guess just because it's so accessible in Florida, whereas up north, half of the year you cannot play. I just find it, I've, I've tried playing a few times. I find it immensely boring. And unfortunately, in my line of work in politics, a lot of business gets done on a golf course. And I've missed out on it because I just, I've tried and I've tried. I took a class at Chelsea Pierce once, Pierce once, and uh, 
I came home and I thought my, my shoulder was going to be disconnected from swinging the golf club. And I was like, this is awful. All right. Well, uh, from Trump, now we move to the Kardashians. Oh, somebody else I can't get excited about. Right. Well, but a good conversation. Uh, for, so for months, the Good Place star, she's an activist as well, Jamila Jamil, she's been calling out the Kardashians on social media for promoting weight loss adver- advertisements such as detox teas and lollipops. She's criticized Chloe in particular, her ads, uh, saying that she's having a negative influence on women, calling her, quote, terrible and toxic influence on young girls. And I, I know you know about like certain influencer posts on Instagram and stuff. They, sure. get, they get paid to, you know. Well, that's that. the first thing. First of all, uh, people need to get that when somebody, some celebrity is plugging a product or is photographed by paparazzi wearing a particular necklace or a particular um, outfit, chances are she or he's probably getting paid to do all of that. Uh, and constantly celebrities get people giving them free stuff so that they wear it so that they other people will pay for it and buy it or they're paid directly to to promote something on Instagram. Um, I will say this, are there any young girls, especially listening to us? I don't know if there are, but if, if there are, um, you know, somebody who spent over a decade in the makeup chair at Fox, people, I think, don't understand how much goes into what you look like on TV. Um, I would get to Fox at least an hour before my hit time. Uh, it would take about that long, if not longer sometimes, to do my hair and makeup. And uh, Emily, you're looking at me now the way I really look in real life, and I think you can attest that I don't look anything in real life like I did when I was wearing Fox. There are fake eyelashes involved. There is hair teasing involved. There are often hair extensions involved. There is a wardrobe that is provided that is involved. There are tons and tons and tons and tons of different makeup products put on your face by professionals whose job, who they really are makeup artists. They're not just makeup people. They really are artists because they are turning you into the very, very, very best version of yourself. And the amount of effort and time it takes into making people look the way they look on TV uh, is immense. And I will tell you, I've never actually seen an episode of the Kardashians. And in fact, I think I'm the only person in history who's never sat through an entire episode of a reality show. Don't worry, Julie. That's why I'm here. I've seen almost all of them. I know. I know you you are obsessed, obsessed with Real Housewives and the Kardashians. (laughs) I get too too embarrassed watching it, so I can't. (laughs) It's not because I'm so high-minded. I would rather sit and watch Lifetime Movie Network movies about, you know, my, my mother stole my boyfriend's wife's husband and now we're now she's dead and who did it um shows so it's not like i'm sitting there watching masterpiece theater but i just can't get into reality tv um but i will say that the kardashians um have a or i think kim kardashian has a makeup artist named mario who actually came from fox he used to be at fox and used to do my makeup and the makeup of other people at fox before he went to kim kardashian and Mario's amazing. Um, he's, as you can see, incredible. But I promise you, knowing Mario's work, that Kim Kardashian does not look the way she looks um, on TV when she wakes up in the morning. Or maybe she does because maybe she's gotten so much work done that that's what she now looks like in real life. But uh, she, the, this Jamila, Jamila, is that her name? Uh, uh, good, yes. Yeah. I mean, she's right. Um, she's right in that uh, these celebrities should at least, I get, it, I get it that it's not good for their bottom line, but at least be honest the way I'm honest um, and, and just say that 
I had a makeup artist at Fox. She was great. She's not there anymore. <laughs> she said to me once, she goes, God, you come in here looking homeless and we end up making you look great. And she kind of said that as a compliment to herself and I guess also as a compliment to me that I was able to be transformed into somebody <laughs> who was apparently decent looking. <laughs> but but uh, she didn't mean it any nefarious way. But, but what the reality of this is, is that it's just, it's not real life. I mean, it's just not real life. And, and I always joke... Um, Especially when, well, when I was at the Republican convention, which obviously had a lot of people who watch Fox all the time, I would show up in the morning um, without any makeup, without any hair, you know, really with just having gotten out of the shower and blown dry my hair and nothing on my face. And I'd be walking down the street of Cleveland, not down the street, but I'd be walking in the, with a couple, within a couple of blocks of the convention center in Cleveland. Not one person stopped me. Not one person recognized me at all. The minute hair and makeup would get done with me, it was like I couldn't get down the block because people knew exactly who I was. So that should just show you exactly how much effort goes into making people look the way they look on TV. And and I think the more, and certainly that's before we get to Photoshop uh, with magazines or anywhere else. So I think before little girls starve themselves or feel the need to go under the knife when they get older um, or, 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 or want to get injections, in their butt or wherever to look more like Kim Kardashian or anything else. Just understand, none of that is real. None of it. Right. Nobody's born looking that way. Certainly not Kim Kardashian. I mean, if you see pictures of her when she was a little girl, there's no evidence that she was going to look the way she looks now. I mean, she's spray tanned every 30 seconds. Cool. Nothing is real. And so just just realize that and realize that that every plain girl in the world could be turned into a work of art at the hands of the right um stylists, the red hair and makeup people, anybody right. can. And two, two things. One, it's even during the commercial breaks, uh, you see the hair people come out dirt for, in, you know, recurl your hair or refix oh my God, it. Of course. But that's the thing. I remember, you know, just young learning to curl my hair and after 20 minutes it would come out and I'd be like, why can't I make it stay? They can make it stay the whole show. But Fun fact, behind the scenes, every seven minutes of show, the three minutes that they're on break. Every time. Well, you know, this, you worked in out number. Right. You saw what they did with us. I mean, we'd be right. sitting on the couch during a commercial break, um, and and the hair and makeup people would go out during a break, and they would touch, touch you up. And uh, the dirty secret of my life is I, after all those years of watching them do this to me, still cannot apply eyeliner. I cannot do it. Um, I'm incompetent, and I thank God every day I don't have a little girl, so I can't because I couldn't be a teacher how to put on makeup. I'm just horrible at it. Um, and all of that is, is done. You, you just, you're never not perfect. There's no stray hair. There's no flyaways. There's no, um, there's no part of you on TV that is not looked at by everybody in charge of the station um, and... 100% analyzed to make sure you look your best. In fact, Roger Ailes, um, who's the former head of Fox News, would have several TVs in his office. They would all be there with the sound turned off because I think Roger, not I think, I know, because he said it to me and to others, and he's been very clear about this publicly, or he was clear about this publicly, that his first priority is to see what your body language is like and what you look like on TV because when you're flipping channels, people first stop at the picture and then they listen to what you're saying. And... That's something for people to bear in mind, too, that everything, every single thing that is done on television stations, which is a visual medium, um, whether it's E, where the Kardashians are, or, or MSNBC, or Fox News, or CNN, or 
every reality show, it's all staged by professionals whose job it is to make you look fantastic. Um, and there is nothing in the world that you can do at home to compete with that because unless you are in fact one of those professionals. And then kind of just the final point about that is the, I I believe Kim responded and said, you know, well, this is a quick buck and she wants to be able to spend more time with her family. So we'll take jobs like posting on Instagram and getting a couple hundred thousand for one post because it allows her to spend more time with her family. I find that as BS because, okay, you got to spend more time with your family, but give a bad picture to girls and people around the world. But I don't know. What's your opinion? Because I find it kind of refreshing because at least she's not pretending that she really likes this candy or really likes these products. At least she's not saying, oh no, I I believe in this lollipop or I believe in whatever supplement she's plugging, whatever. I have no idea what her um, promotions are. At least she's being honest. I'm doing this for the cash. And you should understand, little girls, um, that, in fact, there's no reason I'm doing this other than the cash. So don't run out and buy these products because I'm not swearing by the quality of these products. I'm just saying that they're paying me to promote them, so I'm promoting them. Right. Um, like, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're old enough to read between the lines, I think that's what she's saying. Yeah. Uh, so I would hope that girls who heard that at least have parents if they are not old enough to understand that themselves have parents to explain to them that, listen, this is not a woman who's defending her products. She's basically saying this is a way to make money. And that's what she's doing. Pay to play. Agreed. Um, all right. So I guess now what we're salty about, if you want to go that. Well, you know what I'm salty about? Um, I'm salty about this whole notion that, that William Barr, the attorney general, can't release the Mueller report because he uh, has to preserve the, the secrecy of the grand jury. You had a special prosecutor, uh, Jaworski, Leon Jaworski, during Watergate, who turned over comp- everything after a judge ruled that he should, um, after the Nixon administration didn't want that to happen, turned over everything, including grand jury testimony, uh, to the House Judiciary Committee. And I am old enough to remember this very, very well. When the Star Report came out during the Lewinsky timeframe, they released everything, not just to the House Judiciary Committee, but publicly, including Bill Clinton's grand jury testimony, including Monica Lewinsky's grand jury testimony. We all read it. I mean, I remember walking into... Barnes and Noble or a store, a store called Borders, which used to exist, a bookstore. Um, and there would be copies of the entire report in book form at the checkout. And you could read all about it. I mean, there was nothing to prevent you from reading grand jury testimony. The bottom line is this. The secrecy of the grand jury um, is not mandated to be protected before Congress because it is up to Congress to figure out whether there's a roadmap to impeach the president or otherwise determine wrongdoing by the president. And furthermore, um, both intelligence committees in the House and the Senate are entitled to an unredacted copy of the report. So uh, this is going to be tied up in court. I think the goal for the Trump administration was twofold. One is to establish the first narrative so that people in their mind are already thinking, oh, there's nothing to see here. Let's move on, which they accomplished very successfully, I think, uh, before everything else comes out. And the second is hopefully to keep this tied up in court through the 2020 election so that we will not know what's in the report. But right now, we don't have Robert Mueller's word for anything. We have William Barr's word. There was no obstruction of justice. The New York Times reported this week that, in fact, that's not true, that people in, this, in the special prosecutor's office are saying they're disputing the attorney general's findings. So let's find out what happened. We do know certain things that already did happen. We know that Jared Kushner tried to establish a secret channel 
to the uh, Russians by, by trying to set up a secret channel in the Russian embassy, which is just mind-blowing to me. We know that he and Donald Trump Jr. met with uh, the Russians to try to get dirt on Hillary Clinton um, in exchange for I'm not sure what. Um, we know that uh, Kushner again met with Mohammed bin Salman, the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, and kicked out professional intelligence and uh, professional embassy folks from being in that meeting. It was a one-on-one. We know he communicates on WhatsApp with foreign leaders, which is something that can't be traced. Again, why? Um, all of that stuff is interesting to me, and uh, while it didn't result in indictment, it is up to Congress to figure out whether it rises by the president to high crimes and misdemeanors. I don't know whether it does, but none of us do, and certainly Congress doesn't unless they get the full unredacted report. So let's turn it over there, William Barr. Come on. I agree, and by saying that, by not put, putting the report out, isn't it easy to for them to say, despite the Kushner revelations and stuff like that, to say, well, it didn't result in collusion, so let's Well, throw it yeah, away. I mean, collusion was not a legal standard to be met, so it's very clever that they kept saying, no collusion, no collusion. There was never going to be collusion. Does it rise to the level of conspiracy? Well, apparently not enough to get indicted. On the other hand, the Eastern District is continuing its work, and the Southern District is continuing its work here in New York, uh, and uh, apparently there's a grand jury that Mueller... Um, uh, as part of the Mueller probe, that it, whose work is still ongoing down in Washington. So we don't know. I mean, you know, when people ask me my reaction to the Mueller report, I, I, I don't say that the president is guilty or anybody around him is guilty, except for the people that got indicted, because the answer is we don't know. And it's hard to speculate on something we don't know. So if they could release the Star Report in its entirety, they should. If Congress got the unredacted Jaworski report with Watergate, uh, which they did, uh, it should. The Jaworski report was finally declassified. I believe it's either this year or last year. I think it was last year. Um, but Congress had seen the unclassified version. In fact, Peter Rodino, um, who was the head of the House Judiciary Committee, a New Jersey congressman at the time, led the charge for Congress to see it, um, and, and it did. And I believe that Congress should, as they have, subpoena the report or said they're going to subpoena the report, should get it now. And 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 this is all political. The problem is that we had a country, and this is actually, you know what's making me even saltier now that we're on the topic? The saltiest part of all of this is the president should have stood up the day this report came out and said the following. I'm very grateful for Robert Mueller's uh, exoneration of me and the people closest to me. Um, as you could see, there was no evidence. If that's what he wanted to say, he could have said it. He could have still said the same thing, but he missed one crucial thing which is, however, what we do know is that the Mueller report indicates, from what I have heard and what I've read reported, that the government of Russia led an assault on this country and on the integrity of our electoral system and tried to basically, through technological and other means, subvert the will of the American people. And I will not allow that to stand. And I will either impose more sanctions or ask Congress to impose more sanctions on the Russians, I will take it up with Vladimir Putin. I will send a message to him that if this happens again, as it apparently is happening again, leading up to the 2020 elections, there will be serious consequences. But he did none of those he things. He looked heroic. Of course. And he still could have gotten up and said what he said about his own exoneration if he wanted to, but he would have looked like a leader and he would have looked like he's putting America first, which is the stupid single, you know, horrible phrase with horrible connotations that he keeps using all the time. 
without realizing what the historical significance of that phrase is. But if he wants to use that phrase, that really is putting America first. Not America first, capital A, capital F, but America first, lowercase f. Um, it really is putting the needs of this country first and standing up to those who want to subvert our democracy. And the fact that he did none of that is so infuriating to me. And the fact that Lindsey Graham, who's this alleged you know, hawk when it comes to Russia, completely took a backseat on that issue. I mean, where, where are the Republicans who are holding a press conference, if the president won't, saying what we have learned through media leaks or other uh, reports on the Mueller report is that the Russians came at us and that they are continuing to come at us. That's the lesson of the Mueller report, putting aside whether Trump or his sons or his daughter or his son-in-law or anybody in his inner circle is guilty of collusion. We know for a fact that the Russians came at us, so come back at them, and nobody has do you, focused do you on think that at all. The reason they're not doing that is because they're afraid that Trump then won't help them get reelected, or is it just because they're chicken? The talking mushrooms. Like? Um, I think that they're so busy doing a political victory lap about the fact that there's no there there on collusion that uh, why why muddy the waters by by talking about policy. Um, and I think they're also scared of Trump. I mean, I think the Republican primary base is enthralled to Trump. And as a result, a lot of them, Lindsey Graham being first and foremost in this, is, is terrified of Donald Trump coming into South Carolina and, and coming after him. And look at Lindsey Graham's numbers among Republican primary voters. Uh, when he was anti-Trump, his numbers were in the tank. Now that he's Trump's best friend, his numbers among Republican primary voters are, are doing much better. So it's all about self-preservation. And mark my words, the day Lindsey Graham gets reelected, if he gets reelected, he will turn on Trump super fast because he will no longer need him. And that to me is just the worst. Everything that people hate about Washington to me is encapsulated by Lindsey Graham. That would be a great Tyrion and Julie clap back. Oh, no. Tyrion and I would be, you know, <laughs> having drinks and clapping back about why he had to kill poor Tywin. I love that character. I love Tywin Lannister. He was such a good character. And I'm a little ticked off at Tyrion for killing off that character for me. But go on. What, what is making you salty this week? Uh, Georgia's so-called heartbeat bill, oh, uh, God. which yes. would prohibit most abortions in the state after a heartbeat is detected, which can come as early as six weeks. And that's before many women even know they're pregnant, which would ruin a lot of lives because if, if you can't take care of a child and you don't know you're pregnant and then now you're stuck with it and bringing something in this world that you don't have the resources, that anything, it's, it's not conducive to a healthy upbringing. Or well, I'll tell you, um, I've had a few friends who've terminated their pregnancies because they are kids and they want to... This is not an, uh, not an accidental pregnancy. I mean, these are, in both instances... Um, couples who really, really, really were trying to get pregnant and wanted that child. Um, but there was something very wrong with that, with the development of that fetus. Um, and having been pregnant, I can tell you, uh, it used to be that you can't really find out about a lot of diseases or a lot of illnesses, um, until you did an amnio 20 weeks, which is about five months. Um, now you can do it, or at least when I was pregnant, you could find out about a lot of them at 12 weeks, which is obviously well after you can detect a heartbeat. Um, but at 12 weeks, you might find out that you have a child, um, and a pregnancy that is just insupportable, uh, for a variety of reasons. And 
rather than carry that pregnancy to term, only to give birth to a stillborn baby or to give birth to a child that will not live much past its birth, um, for, for both the sake of, of your own mental health and for the sake of, 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 of uh, not making anybody suffer needlessly after birth, um, they both determined that it, that it was easier to terminate in the first trimester, but after six weeks. Enjoy. Um, I, I never really ever thought of that point of view. Yeah. And I think that's really important for people to know. Cause again, I was just thinking about just the basic kind of things, but having never been pregnant or in that situation had, I did not know that. And that's yeah. You know, um, well, I'll share something personal. When I was pregnant, um, with, with my son at 12 weeks, I did a, I did a, what was called a CVS test. And the doctor told me that there was a possibility that he would have spina bifida. And I would know, I think within 24 or 48 hours, whether that was the case or not. And it was an incredibly awful time for me. I had tried so hard to get pregnant. It had taken me a very long time. Um, and to think that, and, and when you're pregnant, I don't know if this applies to other women, it certainly did to me. One day, because you're counting down nine months, right? Which is really 10 months, because it's nine, the full nine months. Um, and every day, feels like an eternity because it's just the longest for me it was the longest nine months of my life because I so wanted that baby and I so wanted to meet that baby and then to find out at 12 weeks which is three months which I know doesn't seem like long but but it really is when you're when you're already um you know constantly putting your hand on your stomach even though you don't there's nothing there yet to put your hand on but you're still you know you basically really connect um or at least I did with your baby, and then to find out at 12 weeks that, oh my God, you might have a child. And I, I you know, mercifully, luckily, um, it turned out to be fine. But uh, let me tell you something. It's, it's just, um, it's an agonizing decision that women have to make. And I know women who it did not turn out fine for and, and much worse than spina bifida, which is, which is bad, but it's, it's not insupportable with, with continuing to live. But um, it's to, to make women carry a pregnancy to term that doesn't end in a live birth. Um, it's just cruel. I mean, it's awful. It's, I can't think of something more cruel. And, uh, and then are they, are they, are, you know, is, is governor Kemp paying for the psycho or psychiatry bills that this woman is going to have to go through in therapy for the net for maybe for her, the rest of her life. It's no, I highly doubt that. No. And the whole point is this, this whole purity, there's no nuance to this. Um, it's like, uh, I'll give you a great example. New Jersey. This is, I hate, I hate to equate this with abortion, but it's, it's part and parcel of the same mindset. Although I, I truly don't want to conflate the two because I don't think there is any confluence between, um, these two events, but New Jersey just passed something called the Aid in Dying Bill, which is a bill that basically allows terminally ill people to terminate their lives at a time and place of their choosing if they have six months or, or I think it's six months or less to, to live. Um, and uh, um, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, you're, you're asking people to basically commit suicide and that's immoral and that's illegal. And, and, and all I kept thinking is, I had a friend whose husband had ALS and Lou Gehrig's disease, and towards the end, he was begging her to kill him because he was completely immobile. Um, he knew everything mentally that was going on, but he was trapped in his body. Uh, it was just uh, truly, I, I think about what I would wish on the worst human being on earth, and I still wouldn't wish this kind of, this kind of disease on, on that person. 
Um, I wouldn't wish this on Adolf Hitler. It's that awful. It's just such an awful, awful, awful um, disease. And he was begging his wife to help him end it. And she obviously couldn't because she would be prosecuted for manslaughter or she was worried about legal jeopardy. Um, And so what is so interesting to me about this is, to me, why is there no nuance in thinking about all sorts of heavy issues like this? Why is everything so black and white? Um, And the same with abortion. I mean... Nobody is aborting nine-month-old fetus. I mean, every time no. people who are pro-life, well, would you abort somebody the day before birth? Well, who's doing that? No one. I mean, who is doing that? Give me one example of somebody you know who terminated a pregnancy on a healthy fetus at nine months. And Not one person has done that that I can think of. And if they did, they were probably breaking the law. People keep saying, well, Kermit Gosnell, Kermit Gosnell, whatever his name was. Yeah, that guy was breaking the law. He was a criminal. Um, but what people don't understand is you're, you're, you're just putting women in an impossible situation. I mean, a really impossible situation um, when you pass bills like this. And I say that as a woman who really um, uh, has had friends who are heartbroken to this day. I mean, it's been years for, for, for one couple that I know, and, and they're still heartbroken about it. They really wanted that baby. They were de- and they proceeded to then go on um, to go to China and adopt two little boys with special needs specifically um, because they wanted um, children so much. Uh, so I, I just think it's a really cruel bill designed for people who'd rather um, have some sort of weird ideological purity rather than thinking about what is best for the women and for the, and for these children. Um, to add on a positive note, I think the information that you just gave on that was really important because I definitely learned something. Well, and- yeah, you know, I think it's one of those things where live and learn. I think Governor Kemp, great example. Um, has he known people like this? I mean, people don't talk about this much, unfortunately. Um, and... Uh, they just don't. It's such a private thing. It's such a tragic thing. People don't talk about it much. And I, and I, I would hope that people who have gone through something like what I just talked about, if they are compelled to share their story, it's so important to do that. And of course, I would never ask anybody to do that. But if, but if they have it in them where they feel compelled to share it, I think they should. Because I truly think people need to understand um, the nuances of this. Not to mention your point. A lot of women, you are entitled, I mean, it is the law of the land. You are entitled to um, terminate a pregnancy. Uh, and at six weeks, a lot of women, most women don't know that they're pregnant. Um, they just don't. And uh, a heartbeat is one of the first things that you hear. One of the first things, obviously, if not the first thing that I'm not a doctor, but I think you hear it very early on. Um, so you're talking about essentially outlawing abortion, which is the whole point. And, and, and the cruelty is the point, by the way. It's not some, some pro-life message. You are, in some cases, asking women to carry, um, to term, fetuses who are not viable um, in any way, shape, or form, simply because you heard a heartbeat at six weeks. And fetuses develop <laughs> a lot longer than that. And uh, that's why the first trimester is so important, probably the most important part of the pregnancy, because that's when... Um, your functions really come to come to be, um, 
and it's just it's just awful. It's cruel. Let's think about something positive. Um, well, I look forward to when we start to watch Game of Thrones each week and talk about it because I know I'm in this dilemma though because as I oh, said, yes, the person so I'm watching with um, has not gotten through. I don't think we're going to get through it before the 14th. Is it the 14th? It's not this coming Sunday, right? It's a week from Sunday, right? Because we're powering through probably one um, episode a day, and, and that's. Can a little... I say I'm kind of jealous though? Because it's that part where it's like you haven't seen it yet, and you still get to see all the well I, it's, it's, seasons. It's actually really cool for me too because I realize I hadn't. There's so many things I didn't pick up on the first time around, like at all. And now knowing what I know, um, all the little nuances too that you must be must be catching. Totally, and all the foreshadowing. Um, it's really great. I've never read. Did you read the books? I never read the books. No, I'm not. Because every time one of those the people who do read are like, "Well, in the books it said." I don't care. I'm watching this right now. <laughs> I agree. I know exactly. <laughs> That's like me every time I watch some historical drama. Especially, remember the show The Tudors on Showtime? Oh, yeah. So I was that on because I love medieval British history. You know your stuff. I know my stuff. And so when that show, which did not know its stuff, um, would do stuff, I mean, it was so ahistorical. And my friend Gail and I were talking about it. And I was like, well, that's not right. And that's not right. And that's not what really happened. And finally she goes, Julie, just shut up. Yep. It's a stupid (laughs) bodice ripper Showtime series. That's basically being written like all my children. Why are you being such a buzzkill about this? <laughs> and I couldn't stop. Like, I couldn't stop being a buzzkill. My other friend, my best friend going back to eighth grade, literally refuses to go watch historical movies with me because all I do is mumble under my breath in the movie theater about how this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And finally, she was just like, it's been real. Like, we'll never see a movie with you again. And I get it. So I get, I, I get the annoyance of what I do. And I am equally annoyed uh, as you are by people who read the books and are like, well, this isn't true to the character. And you're just like, whatever. It's just, it's a show. Let's just enjoy. There's really no dragons out there. Maybe there are, maybe we don't know. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe there have been. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I get what you're saying. Maybe I'll read them after the show's over. Hey, well, we'll get to watch the Game of Thrones politics style with the Democrats and see who who is victorious. I know, I know. So we have a lot to, I know. Lot coming up to talk about. You know, my, one of my friends um, has this theory that the Hound is obviously some, some Azor, Azul, whatever, I don't know this guy's name, the, the, the great god of whatever in Game of Thrones. And I was like, you're Peter Batijic would be like the Hound, like the dark horse who comes out and wins it all. Hey, That'd I like be cool. that. That'd I be like cool. That. All right, you guys have heard it here. Salt your politics. <laughs> if I'm right about this, by the way, I don't want to get one more negative tweet because I will retire yeah. from opinion making. I will have no, so hit the jackpot that I will... just need to repost this clip and then done. I will retire from punditry forever. <laughs> I am right about that. All right, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. All right.